Isn't that cute? It just makes you all warm and fuzzy. Hey, welcome to E3. My name's Eric. We want to uh, kind of continue the celebration of Father's Day just briefly. So, you know, when the, when, the, when the ladies had Mother's Day, we had this great thing where we always give away flowers and everything. So we want to do the same for Father's Day. So guys, we have you uh, gift certificates for Vermont teddy bears. Just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. Just, uh, these are actually gift cards to Lowe's. And, and what we like to do here is to kind of represent uh, and kind of find the, the largest extremes of kind of fatherhood. So we're going to have a kind of a, see who is the most experienced father and kind of, well, the most inexperienced one. Um, so as usual, please no betting on this. If you know somebody, you think he's the guy, please no wagers. We don't endorse that at E3. Um, <laughs> But what we're going to do is start with the newest dad. So, first-time fathers. Are there any first-time fathers in the, in, the, in, the, in the room tonight? First-time fathers. See, this is going to be hard. Might have to go to freshest father. So, if you have a child under the age of one, stand up. Just take it, Dan. <laughs> Okay, if you have if you have a child under the age of four and you're not on staff at E3. Okay, under the age of seven. B Dog. Mr. Dawson. Okay. This one should be a little bit easier. So now what we're going to do, fathers, you're going to total up the cumulative ages of your children. So get out your little cell phone and start using your calculator, whatever it takes. And then we're going to see who has the most total number of years experience in fathering. So let's start with 30 years. If you have 30 years cumulative fathering dad type of experience. Please stand up. <laughs> okay. The game is on. <laughs> Let's just go right to the issue. Uh, Mr. Matthews, how much money do you have? How much... Uh, <laughs> There's an offering pyramid right over there. What's your cumulative age fathering experience? 67, you, sir. Okay, we're waiting for it. Oh, 105. Wow, is this your first time at E3? We do this every week. I'm kidding. Um, all right. Well, we uh, we want to kind of uh, kind of wrap this day up. I mean, it's it's uh, 7:40, so hopefully you've already kind of done some type of Father's Day celebration. What I'd like to do now is just kind of say a prayer of blessing over all the dads, um, and just kind of take some time to pray for those. So, if you guys would mind bowing uh, bowing your heads and joining me with prayer, um, we're just kind of kind of lift up a prayer for the dads. God. We thank you for fatherhood uh, in as much as it is a picture, a representation of aspects of your character, God. We thank you for all of the fathers in this room. 
We thank you for the investments that they've made. Thank you for the commitments that they've made. Um, Thank you for the love that they've exhibited, the courage they've exhibited, the compassion, the mercy, on and on and on, God. And we pray, Lord, for those who are still um, who are still in that, whether they have young children or old children. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to keep on doing those things, God. Give us uh, your grace to kind of continue to walk the path of being a parent. And Lord, uh, for those who that this day represents maybe a certain degree of pain, maybe other, maybe because uh, their father's not here. There's some kind of loss. God, we pray that you would be with those people in a special way. Pray that you would remind them that you are with them and you uh, love them and you are there to comfort them. And you are there to fill up the gaps as best as we allow you to of our earthly fathers, God. And for those of us also who who would look at our earthly father and just go, you know what, there was just a lot missing in that relationship. There was something broken in that. God, I pray that you would also work your healing in that as well and just kind of help us to walk the path of of learning what it means that we have a perfect father in heaven and to kind of get past the pain that might be uh, just in existence in our lives now on days like today. We love you, God, and uh, thank you for our dads. Amen. All right, well, we're going to just roll the trailer for Karate Kid, so go ahead, watch this. All right, Karate Kid. It was a great movie. We watched it uh, this week. Really, really good. Uh, Jaden Smith is Will Smith's son. Uh, the kid can act. He's got acting chops. Jackie Chan does a great job. Really, really good movie. And here's the deal about movies. Um, 
Movies ask us questions of our lives. I think like when we get past the entertainment quality, that we could say that like, you know what, a movie forces us to answer certain questions about our lives and about life in general. And the really, really good movies ask really, really deep questions and they ask them in really, really powerful ways. You know, you might think of something like, you know, the matrix. What is the nature of reality? What, what does existence in real life look like? Uh, good movies might ask you a question about like, what does is, what is real love look like? Not just like Hollywood love, romantic love. What does real love look like? What does family look like? You know, other movies that maybe not so great, maybe not ask not so deep questions. Um, for instance, how did Keanu, Keanu Reeves get another acting gig? Um, how do you make a movie called Karate Kid when it's entirely about Kung Fu? I'm just saying. It's just, I'm, it's Kung Fu. Um, but these are the types of questions that movies ask us. And you just kind of have to figure out, well, what question is this movie asking me? What Karate Kid is asking me, to me, is as we were watching it this week, the question that just kind of jumped out in my mind was, was uh, who are you capable of becoming? What are you capable of being? Is change possible? And if it is, like, how do you do it? What does it look like? Dre is, is Jaden Smith's character. He's a 12-year-old boy, and he and his mother moved from Detroit, Michigan to Beijing, China for, for work. Um, Dre's father has passed away a few years earlier. So he's a, a 12-year-old boy, a single mom, and he's a normal, he's a normal kid, uh, completely like self-confident, overconfident, completely insecure uh, at the same time. Loves to do things that 12-year-old boys love to do, video games, um, play ball, um, flirt with girls, all, this types of, all these types of stuff. He's a normal, normal kid. But something has drastically changed in his life. They don't live in Detroit. There's been a, a significant change. So he arrives in Beijing, and he does the things that, that 12-year-old boys do. He goes out and tries to make friends. He's just kind of hanging out on the playground. And in this new environment where he's kind of unused to things, he starts to encounter a huge challenge in his life. It kind of alludes to it in the trailer. But there is something in his life that he cannot get past. He's not at home anymore. All the things that he's used to doing to kind of get by in his life are not working. And he is stuck with this obstacle that he can't get beyond. And he, he ends up, you know, he's kind of like not like in school and he's, he's depressed and he, he's not doing very well. And maybe you could relate to a situation like this where you would say, you know, I've been there at a time in my life when all of the things that I'm used to doing are no longer producing the result that I want out of life. Like I'm used to kind of just existing and doing the things that, that I'm equipped and I'm used to doing, but all of a sudden there's something in my life that I can't get past. Nothing's changed. I'm stuck. Maybe you'd say it this way, that somehow the system is breaking down. It's broken. And it's broken in Dre's life. He's no longer able to kind of have the life that he, that he wants or that he thought he, uh, that he, thought he could, could achieve. 
And so he does what, what anybody would, would sort of uh, do in that, in that instance, and he seeks out help. <clears throat> he finds a guy uh, who is willing to teach him. And when he goes to Jackie Chan's character, his motives and his reasons are very, very simple. He says, can you teach me just to kick somebody's butt? That's what he wants to be able to do. That's what he wants out of his life. That's what he sees in front of him, and that's what he goes to his teacher to get. Perhaps you might say it like this, like Dre is looking at his life sort of like a mathematical equation. And he's looking at the result he wants. A variable here, which we would call butt kicking. You will see butt kicking. Let me move this so everybody can see it. And he, say, and he goes to, a, he goes to a, a guy who can teach him. He finds a teacher. And he basically is saying, like, I want you to teach me the things that I need to do to be able to accomplish what I want out of life. What I want out of life is to get over this obstacle. And the only way I know how to get, up, get over it is to kick some tail. So do what, do what you need to do, teacher, so that I can kick some tail. That's the situation. That's what he, that's what he uh, is going through. And maybe in all honesty, if you paused, you would say, this doesn't sound too unfamiliar with my life sometimes. That maybe you would say, I've gone to God at times and said, God, I really just need this taken care of. I need a better job. I need uh, or I want this person out of my life. God, if I only had a girlfriend, if I only had a husband, if I only, if I only. God, this is what I want out of life. I'm gonna do these things, God, and they're gonna lead to this thing. So maybe you can identify with a little bit of where Dre's coming from. And Jackie Chan uh, is the teacher. He agrees to do it. He says, okay, let's do this thing. I wanna read a portion of scripture from you, uh, to you. In Matthew 11, Jesus is hanging out with his followers. And he says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is, what does it say? Light. What's going on here is that Jesus in the gospel of Matthew is showing himself, kind of revealing himself as a teacher. This is teaching language for the first century. Specifically with this word yoke, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And and yoke was sort of a metaphor, a a word that the Jewish culture used for kind of a system of getting through life. Like they they would say, Torah, the law, the thing that they studied, the Old Testament scriptures, that was a way to help you through life. So they would say, you take the yoke of Torah upon you to get through life. And we're used to hearing that with our ears and go like, wow, a yoke is heavy. We have the image of these oxen kind of being, you know, saddled with this huge, wooden, heavy, heavy thing. But there's another aspect to a yoke that maybe we don't think about. And that is the fact that a yoke helps you bear burdens 
it helps you go beyond your, your physical strength that you have in and of itself. It looks like this. I, here's a picture of a yoke. This is a, a, a human yoke. That's kind of what it's called. It distributes the weight evenly. A yoke, if you use it correctly, helps you do more than you could otherwise do in your own strength. So Jesus says to his, his followers, take my yoke upon you. Take this way of living upon you. It'll help you get through life. It'll increase your ability to cope with burdens and with weight. But here's a twist. If you're familiar with this Jesus guy, what he asks people to do is anything but easy. He calls his followers to extraordinary levels of obedience. Things that are very, very uncomfortable. It gets to the point where in uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Now let's just pause there. Because what Jesus is in a, in a sense saying, if you looked at what the cross represented in the first century, Jesus is saying this. Take up something shameful. Take up shame. Come and follow me. Take up suffering. Come follow me. Take up death. Come follow me. I don't know that there's anything in our culture that we could connect this with anymore. I, I've, I was going through a list. Maybe it's, hey, take up your HIV needle, infected needle. Take up AIDS and come follow me. Take up a symbol of the electric chair and come follow me. Whatever uh, is associated with the most outcast, shameful thing in our society, that's what the cross meant to those people. Who wants to sign up for that? And if, and if you say so, may we all learn from you and teach us. That does not sound pleasant to anybody. And Jesus knew that. But he also says this, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. The yoke that Jesus offers is, is light and easy to bear, not because of what he calls you to, but because of who he is. The character and the quality of the teacher make all the difference in the world. You can be called to extraordinary things, painful, painful things, if you trust the teacher. If you know that the teacher is good, you will endure extraordinary, extraordinary things. So Dre begins his training. He trusts his teacher that much. So he starts, and right off the bat, he figures out that this part of the equation is a little bit confusing. Because he just wants to learn how to kick somebody's tail, but instead, he's doing things that seem repetitious, mundane, counterintuitive, boring. They're using things from everyday, uh, everyday life. You know, the jacket, put the jacket on, take the jacket off if you, if you remember the trailer, if you remember the old, the old school, and it's what? Wax on, wax off. And Dre is going, what does this have to do with this? I'm doing these things over 
and over and over again in isolation, in private, with just me and this teacher. And this does not seem to be getting me where I want to go. You're not teaching me what I came to you for. Jesus is sitting on the edge of a well in in a region called Samaria. And the scripture says that a woman comes up to him and he says, give me a drink of water. Get me a drink of water out of the well. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And that's what she was. She says to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So at this point, she's like, okay, I want some water. Give me some water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water that you've come for will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them, what's it say? Eternal life. So the woman comes to a well looking for water. She says, I know what I want, Jesus. I want some water from this well. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. I've got something else in mind for you. I've got this thing called living water. Now, living water in that culture was a way to refer to water that was free running. It was, it was like a stream or a creek or a river. It was alive. It was dynamic. It was flowing all the time. And it was contrasted with the well that held this water that just sat there. And over time, water that just sits there can become stagnant. And stagnant water can sometimes become not so good to drink, not so life-giving. But Jesus says, so you've come to this well for water. But Jesus says, I have this other thing called living water. Living water is way, way beyond what you've come to me for. In fact, he says, I want to give you this water. If you, if you take it, it's going to become a well inside of you that's going to rise up. So somehow you are going to begin to carry around this living water, this dynamic symbol of life and vitality is going to be carried around inside you. I know what you've come for. But Jesus says, We're going to look at at this side of the equation. And I want to do something more here than what you've ever, ever, ever thought possible. Dre stays in the training, even amidst all his frustrations. And there's this one point of the movie, and it shows in the trailer, where all of a sudden he realizes that that what he's been doing actually is going somewhere. Like he's kind of like, why do I have to do this jacket thing over and over and over again? And then something happens and you see the light bulbs go on. And all of the repetition and all the mundane things that happen in private, all of a sudden he's like, "Ah, I think I'm learning something. I think that this might work. 
I think that when I thought my teacher was crazy and insane, maybe that's not true. He's, he's had his perspective rocked and changed, and he's no longer, no longer the same. In the scriptures, it looks like this. There's a guy named Peter. Peter's one of the 12 closest disciples of Jesus. But sometimes Peter gets it so, so wrong. And Jesus spends three years trying to tell Peter, this is what life looks like. It looks like humility. It looks like the cross. It looks like suffering. But this is the way to really, really live. And let me tell you, Peter gets it wrong over and over and over and over again, even at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's hanging out with his, with his disciples, the closest people around him, and he wants to make last, one last attempt to say, let me show you what I'm talking about, Peter. Let me show you what the way to true life. So he gets up from the table, Jesus does, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. He pours water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Peter says, no, You will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter says, this isn't making sense, Jesus. This suffering thing, this humility thing, this serving thing, not making sense, not adding up, Jesus. But just in a few weeks, I just want you to read, or I want you to hear what happens to Peter. A few weeks later, Jesus has been died. resurrected and the, the the apostles are all hanging out in Jerusalem and they're going to the temple every day going hey guess what Jesus is the Messiah they're preaching that Jesus is the king the son of God the savior of the world and this does not sit well with the with the the religious rulers of the day so they arrest him and they take him in front of the council and they're like you can't do this Peter and the apostles are like no sorry we have to this has happened you guys are missing it they want to kill him they want to execute them but they're convinced to let them live. The scripture says in Acts 5, uh, they called in the apostles, including Peter, and they had them flogged. This means they were whipped 40 times, 39 times with a whip. This punishment killed people regularly. So this is not like getting a spank instead of a timeout or, or being grounded. This is brutal. This is capital punishment potential. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles, including Peter, left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Something has finally happened in Peter's life, and he's like, you know what? The cross doesn't sound that ludicrous anymore. I think I get it, Jesus. I think my paradigm has finally changed. There's a moment that Dre has where he's finally like, I think, I think this is working. I think I'm getting this. But there's one more sort of act to the story. And it's this. There's a, there's a contest. So Dre has entered into the contest. And in the contest, Dre's gonna be tested 
In the contest, Dre is going to experience challenges. So he goes into kind of the first challenge and test. And you know what happens? He's scared. He's scared. And he gets confronted with the first challenge, and he runs right back out. And then he looks to his teacher. He looks to his master. And the teacher and the master says, no, 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 no. Go back in. Do it again. Trust me. And he runs in again, and basically the same thing happens again. He doesn't know what to do. He's frozen. He's freaking out. He runs out again, and he looks at his master and his teacher again. And the teacher goes, no, no, no. Go back in. Go back in. It's going to be all right. So he goes back in a third time. Do you know what happens? The contest begins again. And without even knowing what's going on, Dre begins to react the way the master, the way his teacher taught him to react. And all the things that Dre practiced and all the things that Dre kind of uh, uh, labored over in isolation and in private, all of a sudden began to take shape. And he began to move exactly the way his teacher wanted him to move and react the way his teacher wanted him to react. In fact, he even goes beyond that, and he does a few things that he didn't even know he was capable of doing. And he did those things because his teacher knew all along that, that kicking somebody's butt was never going to be the solution. That his teacher always said, there is something else, Dre, that I want to give you. And if you just do these things that I'm telling you to do, they may not lead to here, but they were never supposed to because you don't want this. What you want is this. What you want is something so much more powerful and alive and dynamic. And this is what our life and Jesus is supposed to be about. We come to him all the time saying, Jesus, just, just give me a job, Jesus, and that's legit. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus, I, I, I'm really lonely. I'd love a companion. It, that's legit. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, Jesus goes, no, okay, okay, okay. But living water, but living water, living water. And Jesus doesn't neglect this side of the equation too. There are things that Jesus does that says, if you want this life, do the things that I have done. And there are things that we know Jesus did that we could just say, Jesus did this, we should do it too. There are other things that we're like, we're not, it doesn't say that he did this, but knowing what we know about his life, we could probably guess that he did. So it's like this, on this half of the equation, Jesus was a praying man. And it's just like Dre's training. Prayer is not um, sexy, Prayer is hard. Prayer is done with no one else around. Prayer is hard to find words for. And our teacher says, but, but you gotta do it. It may not make sense, but you gotta do it. Jesus was a man who lived in community. He had deep friends and he, and he took care of those friends and he lived life deeply engaged. That's what you have to do. Jesus was a worshiping man. 
And, and we know this because Jesus was Jewish and the Jews worshiped Yahweh and they worshiped him intensely and focused and extravagantly and lavishly. And so as much as Jesus was Jewish and as much as he was a good Jew, he was a worshiping man, pouring his heart out to his God. And then something that's just been on my heart and mind lately, Jesus knew his scriptures and he spent time in the word of God because when you see the way he interpreted scriptures, it was brilliant. One theologian put it this way, that so many times we want to do the things that Jesus did. We want to live the life that Jesus lived, but we don't ever want to do the things that Jesus did in isolation when he was by himself that produced the life of living water. And this theologian says, that's like writing checks on somebody else's bank account. We're not talking about a life of, of salvation. We're not talking about, you know, where you, where you fall in the terms of the kingdom of God. We're just talking about this living water type of life that Jesus says. You want this? The karate kid and life and scriptures say, you gotta do this side of the equation. You gotta pray. You gotta do the things that make no sense. God, prayer's hard. Ah, scripture reading is confusing. It's really hard. The teacher says, you want to react the way, I'm, the way I want you to react when the trials come? Just do these things. And one day, you will find yourself in the middle of a trial, and all of a sudden, you will be reacting in a way that this doesn't even feel like my life. Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. We gotta remember that, that, that Jesus was not living in a, in a castle, in a royal castle. He wasn't kept behind some kind of palace wall. He had a normal job. He was a carpenter. Some, some uh, historians and theologians think he was a stonemason. He got dirty. He had friends. And what so much of this tells us is that Jesus could have been, um, he could have been born in Tallahassee. He could, he could have worked your job. He could, have, he could be in the cubicle, could have been in the cubicle next to you. He could have your crazy group of friends because he came in this utterly ordinary way. And then he lived an extraordinary, God-filled life. And so the challenge that he gives us is to say, what are you doing in, in, in that cubicle? What are you doing with your crazy friends and your crazy family? Cultivate this life. So when we take a step back and we kind of go back to the beginning, who are you capable of becoming? You are capable of becoming uh, a person that walks around with the very living water of God flowing out of your life. How is change possible? It's hard, it's confusing, it's mundane, it's repetitious. But if you do it, one day you will wake up and in the middle of a test, you will find yourself moving the way the master wanted you to move. We may know Jesus as our savior. Are we willing to accept him as our teacher and our master as well? I'm gonna let the band uh, come up and we're just gonna spend a short time just kind of responding uh, to this.
And, and I would encourage you guys to just kind of go inside, go inside uh, sort of your, your, your prayer life, if, if you have one now, and just be willing to say, Jesus, I want to kind of uh, be your student. And there's lots of ways to do this. You don't have to, you don't have to kind of find your way blindly. I guarantee you there's uh, story after story of people in this community that have changed because they've made a commitment to this stuff. So uh, find Dan, find me, find Trace, find anybody that you recognize as a leader in this community that says, I think you're down this path a little bit more. What have you done to get where you are, to, to allow God to build into your life? And then just walk that path with them. Why don't we all stand, and I'm, I'm just gonna say a short word of prayer before we sing. God, it is no easy thing to realize what we're capable of being. God, so many of us are, are just content to, to accept the stories that have been told to us throughout all of our lives, God, and to choose to listen to them and not believe that we are capable of being full of living water that flows out to the world from you. So God, I pray in these last few minutes that we have together, God, that you would help us to push back those stories and to say, Jesus, I believe that I am capable of this. And Jesus, would you teach me? Would you help me to sit at your feet and learn from you and learn from your people? Amen. Thank you.